Hello and welcome to Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. My name is Josh and this is episode 2. Last week we spent some time going over our incoming transfers, um, our hopes for the new season and what we could come to expect from this team. But this week we're going to be looking back on Watford, uh, Watford away. We'll be looking at Montoya, our new main right back signing, uh, a new barrage of under 23s entering the team and a look forward to next week in Manchester United. That is how I hope to structure all of these future podcasts for the 38 game weeks. We'll be having a review of the game before. We'll be having a middle segment where I find any key news stories of the weeks of the week ahead of us. Um, and then we'll be taking a look at the team that we're due to play the following week. I'll look to see if we can get something different during the international breaks, but let's focus on what's ahead. So let's go straight into this in segment one, Watford away. So, I'm going to structure this first segment into three sections. The good, the bad, and the ugly, with a final review as to why we lost. Uh, The good, uh, let's all be fair, the good part is that football's back, right? It's been a long time, it's been three months, although it doesn't kind of feel like it because the England World Cup journey made it go a bit quicker. But, in general, it's been a long time and I'm glad it's back and I'm glad to see the boys in blue and white back out there doing their thing. However, their thing wasn't exactly great this week. It was absolutely appalling, I'm sure we'll all agree. Um, It had very much a reminiscent view of West Brom away, or, well, no, that's about as bad as it got, so I could really easily compare that with this. Um, But let's focus on the good. Um, I think the main thing that we can get out of this is Basuma. Um, Most of the team really just played awful, but when Basuma came on, he really livened things up, and I think he needs to be our main talking point coming away from that game in a in a good manner um he immediately had a real presence in the middle of the park and came on for pascal gross now i don't know about you but that surprised me um i did not expect him to be taking that number 10 role um i wasn't upset by it but it really shocked me and i was uh, i was curious as to what was going to happen honestly i thought proper was going to move up and it was going to be a midfield two of stevens and bisuma behind him but it looks like bisuma was was given the role of that number 10 and he really made the most of it he really impressed me and his stats really impressed everybody else um out of the six shots we had none of them were on target awful yes however Bisuma only had 28 minutes on the field, I believe, and had two shots. That's a third of our shots came from him this weekend. That really shows us that he really came on and it made a difference immediately. One of them was an absolutely awful free kick, but if you're the only one that's taking those chances, then, you know, you got to get some respect from me. Secondly, he had more successful dribbles than anybody else on the park, for in the blue and white anyway. We're not going to look too hard at Watford's stats because it's probably more depressing for us. He had more successful dribbles than anybody else, and he, can, and he kept up with his 89% pass accuracy. So not only did he keep the ball, he also distributed the ball exceptionally well, which goes back to podcast one, where I was able to point out just how how well he was keeping the ball when looking forward for Lille. So it seems that he's brought that trait with him and he's really making the most of it. The only two people on the field in blue and white with a better pass accuracy were AJ, our Iranian player, who I'm going to be calling AJ going forward, and Bruno. Both of who, both of whom had really few minutes on the pitch compared to Bisuma. Um, he had half an hour, and I believe AJ had around 15 minutes, and Bruno not much more than that. So I think we really need to take away from this that he's he looks a top player, and honestly, I'm really hoping we see him on Sunday. But we'll get onto that later on. 
So, unfortunately, I don't have much more of the good, so we'll move straight on to the bad. Number one, the bad. Going forward, uh, Murray, Glenn Murray had an absolute nightmare. Um, you, you'll see it on my Twitter as well, at TogetherBHA. Um, he had more bad first touches than anyone else, with three bad first touches recorded across this entire game. Is he slow? Is it just a fact that is, is, has age finally got the better of him? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that he was really poor. He played too deep and he couldn't keep a hold of the ball when he finally got it. Speaking of bad touches and more dis- and more bad first touches than anybody else, the next two behind him were Anthony Knockart and David Proper. They also gave the ball away twice and were also dispossessed four times with the ball at their feet. That was far more than anybody else in this team. Four dispossessions each in that area of the park really shows why we were on the back foot a lot. We couldn't get it out of the midfield and we couldn't attack in the way that we usually do, mainly because we had no outlet and then whenever we did have an outlet, they got absolutely countered, hit with the ball dispossession and lost. We had a lack of drive and we had a lack of composure, which then leads us on to the next part of the bad, Solly March. Knockart and Proper lost the ball a lot and they and they really couldn't provide us a good outlet, but the alternative because Solly March was almost invisible. If you watched the game on on Saturday, you would agree on a basic eye test that Solly was very very poor. However, his stats say otherwise. Um, his stats his stats actually sit in the middle of the park, almost all of them on the going forward at the back, all of it offensively, defensively. He's really not standing out to anybody simply because he did nothing at all. Um, his numbers are so average because he really hasn't registered anything going on whatsoever. That is not good. Um, it really showed as well, and I'm also going to be posting up an average positions chart on my Twitter feed, and you'll see just how isolated he was out on the left. That not only shows that A, we didn't trust him, but also B, he didn't get himself involved enough when the ball was in the middle of the field, because it was primarily going down their left, and we really needed that help and needed to get more compact, and we didn't. Um, our left side was really hamstrung, and March was a bad part of this. It's a shame because I like him, and I think everybody likes him, right? But he's really showing himself to not not have it at this level, and it's it's really sad. But I think we need to we need to start looking past him now. Izquierdo will be back soon, I hope. Um, so going forward, we just need to hope that they can do the job without him. Um, and maybe even look at Bernardo at the left wing role. He barely even got a chance to play at left back. But you know, I'm hoping we can take a look at him at left wing if we're not going to uh, if we're not going to be able to rely on Solly. So moving on from the bad, we're going to go to the ugly. The ugly is a tough one um, because it's something that we we all spoke about last year. We all knew about last year, but we're going to revisit it anyway. Um, set pieces. We conceded both goals primarily to set pieces, and the f- I can't really decide which one was worse. Um, we gave away a free kick for the second one that made it happen, but the first one was an absolute nightmare. Um, we had a corner and decided that Pereira was someone we didn't need to mark. He was wide open all on his own. Uh, we're now 14. We've, we are now winless in our last 14. It's absolutely crazy. It's. I just don't know what they're doing on the training ground. I'm not a football manager. I don't pretend I could do a better job than Chris. I absolutely back him 100%. But something is seriously, seriously wrong at the back. And what we do when we defend set pieces. Because this has been a trend for a long, long time. And honestly, 
If you go back and watch a lot of footage from our championship games, asset piece defending was no better there. It's just that the players we were playing against weren't good enough to take advantage of it. And that says an awful lot about the fact that we cannot get this right. It, I don't know whether we're man marking. I don't know whether we're zonal marking. I don't get it. And I, I don't know anybody who does. And I don't think they get it. It doesn't look like they do. So we'll see. Hopefully it can get better. I'm not convinced it will because they've had years and years to do it. But it is what it is. You've got to hope that it gets better eventually. Otherwise, it's going to get us in the end. Um, it got us this week, and I just hope it doesn't get us long term. So fingers crossed that we can get that fixed. Moving on to the final part of uh, the Watford review, and we'll move it on to the, the big tactical decisions that, that point out why we lost the game. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we did, despite how poor Solly was and how many times we gave away the ball in the middle of the park, um, I think the biggest reason we got beat this weekend was nullifying Pascal Gross. Pascal Gross only had 26 touches all game, which really doesn't... When you read something like that, it doesn't shock me as to why he got tuck off on the hour mark. Um, it's, it's just outrageous. You can't... You, they played him out the game. Um, and when you play someone like that out of the game, you then have to rely on your wide players to make up for it. And we simply didn't have that. And that's where we got beat. We They nullified the middle of the park. Murray and Gross were non-existent. They both had a horrific amount of touches per game. As I said, Gross 26, Murray 31. For reference, everybody else was in the 40s at least. That is just crazy to show how much they absolutely killed them off. And we had no way of being able to trust our wingers because they simply weren't good enough. Um, I also have a heat map on my Together BHA Twitter feed, which is really worth looking at because this really exemplifies just how beaten down we were in the middle. So it, does, it doesn't look like it's great reading, and I'll have it posted on there before this is even out. But it's 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 kind of a it, it says it all as to why we got beat so hopefully we can look up forward to Isquieto coming back on the left and providing that pace and basic scare factor um, and hopefully our new boy AJ can come through and do something a little different from Anthony um, because right now he's that first performance wasn't good enough so thank you for listening to part one we're going to move on to part two right now um, and that is anything Albion in the middle segment that I can find that's worth talking about. <laughs> um, and this year, we this this week we have a good one. Um, it's a look at Montoya. So we signed Montoya um, from Valencia. He's a 27-year-old right back, and we got him on the deadline day. He was a deadline day signing along with Dan Byrne from Wigan. Uh, he has gone straight back to Wigan on loan, so I'm not going to spend any time covering him. Maybe I will during the international week, or maybe I'll take a look at him in uh, in January when he comes back to us. But as of right now, I'm not going to waste that time on him um, because he's simply not going to be playing for us. Maybe it's something worth looking at when you check the scores and see if he's still playing after he's fixed his broken foot anyway <laughs> so moving on to Montoya um, he really was cut from the same mold Valencia right back right from from the Spanish Valencian right back that we signed out of nowhere just like Bruno was um, however I did manage to get a comparison sheet to show the differences between Montoya and Bruno uh, last year they both actually played the exact same amount of games uh, 25 each so it's really useful to get a good side by side they're both playing in the top flight 
of their nation um, and they're both playing in the same position Valencia obviously are a much more established and uh, better team than us um, in their league but it's still it still good, makes good reading to compare the two so moving on to Montoya and Bruno's uh, defensive side statistics um, Montoya actually made 2.6 tackles and 2.1 interceptions a game last year that's a lot um, that's not a small amount of, of stuff and comp- when you compare that to Bruno, um, he only made 1.2 tackles and 1.5 interceptions a game. Now, I'm not sure whether that's a case of pace being on his side and age being on his side, or whether Valencia do play, obviously, a slightly more dynamic game um, and look to get the ball quicker, simply because they are a better side in their league. But the fact of the matter is, he's obviously a very driven player and he likes to get the ball back. So I think it's a good point. It's a good sign. Um, and I think, obviously, his uh, his age is going to be on his side, and I think it's really exciting. Not only that, but he also won more aerial battles than Bruno did. Um, he won 1.4 aerial battles a game compared to Bruno's one, um, and I think that's really going to come in handy. It looks like he's not, he's not scared of winning a header, and it's not that Bruno is, but we saw several times last season, especially like Everton at our place, for example, where Bruno just made a crazy decision because he couldn't get back in time at a set piece and ended up considering in the ball and he was caught up he was caught off uh, out of position once or twice from a head up from a uh, from a set piece from a head in position so hopefully Montoya can fix that too um so yeah he's he's pretty solid he likes to get the ball back and his stats read very similar to Bernardo from last week moving on to the offensive side of his game and going forward um this is this is where it gets really interesting and it makes it really uh really curious as to where well it's not curious it's not it's not a coincidence either um montoya won 1.1 fouls per game last year going forward for for valencia compare that to bruno's 0.3 and i think you can really tell a story here as to what kind of fullback montoya likes to be he likes to get forward he likes to challenge his his opponents and he likes to get the ball in and he definitely likes to get the ball in on the attack because he got four assists last year and he even got a man of the match award (laughs) which is which is no easy feat as a right back but do it he did he got a man of the match award and four assists compare that to Bruno's zero assist last year and I think that tells you a uh, a very good story as to how he likes to get forward not only that but he also works very hard going forward and back and I think it's really similar to Bernardo signing right we looked at the same stats last week and we could see that he won 1.1 fouls per game he got a couple of assists he likes to press forward and unfortunately he didn't get to showcase that this week because he was immediately moved from left back to right back Um, but I think it's really interesting and I think it's one to keep an eye on they obviously have a uh, type that they're going for at fullback because Montoya and Bernardo are almost identical in their stats so I think it's really worth looking at how they set them up this year and how much more our fullbacks overlap than last year because I'm sure you'll agree that really going forward the link-up play when we did play well on the wing was more to do with gross than it was to do with their fullbacks um knockout linked up with gross very well Izquierdo linked up with gross beautifully uh, Murray is also playing balls off to Izquierdo playing balls off to knockout there really wasn't a lot of play um with Bruno or Bong 
they stayed slightly further back and I think that these two it will be interesting to see if they play that same role or whether we start pushing them forward because clearly they're used to being further forward and clearly they're good at it so hopefully uh, we do see them going forward and we try a few more overlaps and also it again just like I said for Bernardo it helps that Izquierdo likes to cut inside because Bernardo, Bernardo can go out wide and it also helps that Knockout likes to cut in wide right because Montoya clearly likes to go out wide and overlap so hopefully we can do that and do both of them going forward at the same time we'll see but i think it's something that's a really sudden and unexpected move but a really exciting one so i wouldn't be at all surprised to see him start sooner than later um the rumor is that shalotto was, was the player left out of the 25 obviously i can't confirm that but uh, if that's true, then I suspect Montoya will be in the side sooner than later, and he may well get a baptism of fire um, against Manchester United. We'll see. Going on to our second part of the middle sec section, um, we're on to the under-23 barrage. Um, especially towards the end of the close season, the summer, we signed uh, we signed a bunch of Scandinavians, very football manager-esque. We seem to be going around, grabbing some cheap, good Scandinavian talent and seeing what comes good. Um, we signed Peter Guagis. He's a Swedish under-17s international. Um, he's a midfielder, and he seems to be getting really good <coughs> rave reviews, although obviously we don't really know much about him at all. Um, but he's obviously caught the eye of somebody, especially at such a young age. So he's not really one to keep an eye on for the short term, but uh, it will be interesting to see where he is in four or five years. Um, hopefully he's banging them in for us. But regardless, I think it's an interesting signing and it's one to keep an eye on for the future. Not only that, but we also signed Leo Ostegard, another guy, another Scandinavian. He's Norwegian and he's a Norway under-19s international too. I, again, like we're signing these very young international Scandinavian players out of nowhere. Um, he also will probably be one to look for uh, in the future, but he certainly played at a higher level um, than than Guagis. He played for Mold, Molde. Oh, uh, feel free to let me know which, which is the right pronunciation. But they played in Europe and he played... He played in Europe with them, so he's obviously got higher levels of experience, but I wouldn't expect to see him in the team anytime soon, simply because I don't think that our development squad are really part of that group that move forward as quickly as some other teams. Um, so I would expect him to chill, chill in the uh, under-23s and see what he does too. Um, hopefully we've got a whole bunch of young superstars on our hand. Moving on to our third Scandinavian player, um, we signed Anders Dreyer. He seems to be one that may well make the move to the first team sooner than later. Um, he's a 20-year-old, so at that point, you know, you've got to be uh, you've got to be hoping they're going to break through much sooner than a 17-year-old youngster. Um, and he's he's a he's a winger as well. So he scored 23 goals in his last 49 appearances, which is no joke. Um, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, as long as it isn't non-league. Um, there's some good there's some good stats. So maybe maybe they're just stacking up on positions for the wing in the future and hoping that we can build that without having to sign really expensive wingers like AJ. Um, and I wonder if that puts Solly in trouble. Well, I mean, it has to put Solly in trouble, right? After his performance against Watford and then all of a sudden seeing three or four youngsters coming through that are all young, promising, attacking wingers. Um, if I was Solly, I'd really be looking over my back and hoping that I can put in a better performance than the last one because his days will be numbered if he continues to perform how he is compared to the players that we're bringing in. And lastly, 
uh, kind of the absolute polar opposite uh, to, no pun intended, given what's coming up, than the uh, than the Scandinavians we have an Ecuadorian. Uh, he's also a young player, Billy Ar- Billy Arca. Billy, I'm going to guess at Arca. Um, he is an Ecuador young international too. Um, he has made 56 appearances as a winger and scored 19 goals in them in uh, over in South America. He's gone on straight on loan to a, a La Liga 2 side, so it'll be really worth seeing how often he starts and how he does over there. Um, and he also has fantastic hair, if you haven't seen it already. And I hope he starts for us sooner than later and really breaks through as some super kid because his hair is amazing alone. Um so yeah, that was a look at our under-23s um, that we suddenly brought in at the end of last season. It's interesting to see that we're looking further afield yet again. Um, we can't always rely on those young homegrown players to make the most of it. So we're really hoping that these Scandinavians can come good for us. And it's not it's not a, uh, it's not a very common place that people plunder. So it's interesting to see that we went out over to Scandinavia. And it's it's intriguing. So hopefully, hopefully at least one of them can come good. All right, moving on to part three um, and the final part of the podcast today, and that is the Manchester United preview. So we play Manchester United on Sunday, um, and they played pretty averagely against Leicester, really. I don't know if anybody else watched it on Friday night. I'm sure most of you did, considering it was the first piece of football we'd had in a couple of weeks. Um, But I, I watched as much as I could. And we we really don't have anything to be scared of. I hope that they realise that. Given our performance was poor against Watford, I don't think there's still any reason to be worried. The reason I say that is because, quite honestly, we've beaten them at the end of last season. And there's been a lot of uh, turmoil at Old Trafford. And the last thing they probably need to do is come all the way down to the Amex for a repeat of the end of last season. So it's really important we make the most of that. We sort ourselves out. We pull our bootstraps up and get that chin up, as Rosinha always used to say, um, and really work on sorting ourselves out because we are good enough to beat this team. And I hope that we really uh, kick on from this weekend's absolute dross. Um, So let's move on to part one of the Manchester United preview, and that is how we'll win. So how we're going to beat Manchester United, um, I think we need to make the most of possession. Leicester City had more percentage of possession than Manchester United did at Old Trafford. That is kind of crazy um, to think that anybody would have more of the ball uh, against Manchester United unless them, unless you're Manchester City. Um, but they did. They had a lot more of the ball. But unfortunately, most of the ball that they had and most of the shots that they had were outside of the box. Um, they were long-range efforts, and we can't afford to do that against them. Um, eight of their 13 shots are outside of the box, and that really shows that Manchester United allowed them to come on and then shut them out late, and there was just nothing Leicester could do about it. Um, and not only that, if we're going to win, um, we need to win the battle on the left. Now, we were exposed on the right with Knockout and Bernardo playing at right back when he's not good at it, um, but we can't afford to have that happen again. We need to sort out that side and sort it out quick because Shaw and Pogba ran the show. Their stats were outrageous and we cannot afford to allow them to do the same again. For references to just how much of the ball they had and how dominant they were, Shaw and Pogba had more touches than anyone else. They had 91 and 99 respectively. 
bear in mind that the next most touches of the ball on a Manchester United shirt was 72. That really shows that those two were the absolute outlet going forward for United and we need to make sure that they don't do the same against us because if they do they're going to beat us. So how we'll win? We're going to take down their, take their, make the most of possession, we're going to shut out Shaw and we're going to shut out Pogba as best as we can. We also, they also have to really decide that we're going to attack this time. Um, just like we did at the end of last season, we can't afford to show this team respect. We need points. So let's hope that we go straight out on the attack, do what we know we're capable of doing, and uh, kick the crap out of them. Fingers crossed. So, um, how we'll lose is the next part of the Manchester United preview. Um, I'm going to do a how we'll win segment, a how we'll lose segment, and then I'll look at our predicted 11 and team news. Um, so how we'll lose, pretty self-explanatory. We'll lose if we allow Pogba to run the show. He was everywhere against Leicester, um, and he really showed his World Cup form, actually, um, as captain for United this week, and it, sh- it surprised everybody, I think. I don't think anybody expected him to be so good. Um, the most the most important thing is to keep them outside of the box, kind of like they did to Leicester, um, because five of their eight shots, they only had eight shots all game, but five of them were inside the penalty area against Leicester City. It's easier said than done, obviously, um, but we cannot afford to allow that to happen. Because if we allow them into the box, we all know that playing with the ball at their feet in close quarters is really where Brighton suffer. Um, We saw it when Pereira cut in and scored for his second goal, um, and we see it from all of the blocks that we made over last season. And we saw it, I mean, honestly, we saw it from, from the goals that we let in on Saturday that's all that needs to be said and we cannot allow them to just walk into the box because if we do they'll score or they'll win a penalty however dodgy that handball decision was Um, moving on to the predicted 11 uh, I think we'll probably stick with Ryan in goal obviously actually not probably Um, we'll stick with Ryan in goal and I think Montoya might make his debut at right back Um, if the rumours are to be believed and Shalato is out at right back then I would assume we wouldn't want to risk Bruno again so soon, given that it looked pretty clear that he was holding on to his hamstring the entire time, and you would think that's a week or two at least out. Um, at least. Especially at his age, um, I would prefer us to be safe than sorry. Um, so we may well see um, a brand new right back straight in at, at the deep end. Um, I'm confident he'd be able to do a great job. We'll just see how it goes. Um, I think we'll play stick with Duncan Duffy in the middle of the back too. I don't see any reason to change it. And I think Bernardo will uh, move back to the left. And thank goodness, because that's his best spot and that's where he should have been in the first place. The midfield, I think we may see wholesale, wholesale changes. Um, it's not something Hutton never really does often, but given the performance last week, I think it's worth looking at and I hope he does. Um, I think we'll see uh, AJ come in for Knockout. Knockout, like I said, he gave the ball away too much. His touch was poor. He didn't look very driven going forward. He looked, he couldn't pick a pass. Um, I'm hoping AJ gets to nod this weekend, although he hasn't had a huge amount of minutes for us. I think it's necessary for him to uh, for him to get the start this weekend. And in the middle, I think we'll start with Stevens and Bissouma. Um, I think he's probably going to hope for Basuma to play that box-to-box role that proper plays, given that he got thrown into the number 10 role out of nowhere. Um, it's clearly obvious to me that Hutton isn't seeing him as an all-out defensive midfielder. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Um, I think it's a bit harsh on proper to lose his role, but it, it is what it is. Um, so Stevens and Basuma in the middle. 
and then we move on to the left um this is this is the weirdest spot of them all and i'm not sure how we're gonna do it um are we gonna stick with solly march out there i hope not because he's clearly not good enough are we gonna try knockout out there um i really hope not again because that's not his natural position and it's not a position that we ever see him excel in sure we swap wings sometimes uh, and hewton has them swap but i don't think that is something that he's good at so i hope that we don't waste our time with knockout out left so that really just leaves a couple of people um Lockadia. Are we gonna are we gonna bring him back and stick him on left wing this time? Um, it's a place that he played sometimes before, and it'll be interesting to see if he does it again. Uh, I hope his attitude has improved, and I hope his uh, ambition to do something for the team has improved. But if he's on the team sheet, I'll cheer him on all the way, um, and hopefully he can do the business. Because other than that, I, I'm not sure. Izquierdo clearly isn't fit. March isn't good enough. Knockout shouldn't play on the left. So really, your other option is Lockadia. So let's see if we go. Let's see if Hutton agrees and goes with a midfield four of uh, AJ Stevens, Bissouma, and Lockadia. Up to the top two, um, we've got Pascal Gross will start at the number ten role, of course. Um, and then it's a case of who's going to start at top. Is Glenn Murray going to get the nod again, um, or are we going to go for Lockadia on up top? Um, and stick with one of the left midfielders that we talked about already or are we going to give Hemet a go um, he was clearly very sharp in pre-season so is that something we're going to do and we're going to push ahead with I don't know we'll find out but I won't be upset to see Hemet start up front um, I think he's earned it in pre-season and I think that Murray played himself out of the side last week so we'll see um, but my predicted 11 all in all, Ryan, Montoya, Dunk, Duffy, Bernardo, AJ, Stevens, Bissouma, Lockadia, Gross, and probably Glenn Murray up top. Um, so that is all from me. Um, we've had our Watford review. We've had our middle segment looking at Montoya and a very brief look at the under-23 barrage of young Scandinavians and a random Ecuadorian thrown in. We've had our under-23 barrage with a lot of Scandinavian incomings and a random Ecuadorian too. Um, and then we're also moved, we moved through the Manchester United preview. We took a look at how we'll make the make the best of the game against United and look to get that win. We've looked about what we've looked at what we really need to do to avoid them beating us. Um, and we look, took a look at the predicted 11. So join me next week uh, where we'll dissect that Manchester United game. Uh, we'll take a look at a couple more uh, things in the middle segment. And then we'll take a look at the following game away at Anfield in the future. Thank you for listening. Follow me at, at TogetherBHA. And please provide any feedback you have. This is only the second podcast. Um, I plan on doing this all season long. So please do provide anything you can. Because I will continue to make this a better listen for you guys. Thank you. Be safe. Oh.